I have the privilege of continuing a series that we started last week that we are calling The Struggle is Real. And uh, man, as we've prayed through and thought through uh, this particular conversation, really this conversation is designed to invite the church back to the place where we acknowledge the reality that life is going to be hard. Life is going to be hard and marked by struggle. For some reason or another, that's something that I think we've veered away from. And yet when we study the scriptures and look at the lives of our church fathers, they understood this and this was taught to them. Life is going to be hard and marked by struggle. Um, Hard things are hard. That doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. Struggles stink. That does not make you special. And it definitely does not make you a second class citizen of the kingdom of God. And if there's anywhere that it should be safe to struggle, to come as we are with our issues and wrestling through the different hard places we're walking, it should be in the church. So last week, Pastor Jeff launched this series uh, by taking us to a passage that we are going to treat almost like our home passage. So we're going to be back there this morning, uh, get used to the passage, get to know this passage. This is an incredible passage that teaches us what perspective to have when it comes to struggle and hardship in our Life. So we're going to be in this passage a little bit over the next number of weeks. And uh, if you have a copy of the Bible, meet me back there. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to start again at verse number 1. Just uncovering what we trust will be different aspects that help shape our perspective when it comes to struggle, when it comes to hard things. Okay, so... um, Here's how Paul starts, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. I must go on boasting, although there's nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell Okay, so Paul opens uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 by making a certifiably outrageous claim. So outrageous, by the way, that he actually starts to speak about himself in the third person. So outrageous. And what he says is that um, 14 years prior to penning the words to this letter, Paul claims, this is Paul, I got to go to heaven for a trip. That's a crazy claim 
to make. And yet here he is making it. And he knows it's outrageous so much so that in this blend of self-awareness and humility, he starts to make all of these uh, disclaimers. Like, I, I mean... Uh, was it a physical trip I took or was I spiritually teleported? I don't know, but I know I was there. I mean, did I go in reality or was it more like a, like a, a, a dream? Was it like the matrix? Like, like, was it inception? Like what? I don't know, but I was there. I was there. Did I go? Did God take me? I'm not sure about all of the details. But what I know is I got to go on a trip to the third heaven. That's crazy. Okay, so it was believed that there were three layers, if you will, of heaven. The first layer is the one you see, that, you know, where the birds fly and the clouds float. That's the first heaven. And if you keep going, you take a rocket ship with Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or whoever, you, you go further and you get into space where the galaxies twirl in their delicate orbits like space. That's the second heaven. Paul's saying, I didn't go to the first heaven or the second heaven. I went to the third heaven. The third heaven, that's God's mailing address. That is talking about where God actually lives, where he is seated on his throne, and next to him is Jesus Christ in all of his victorious swag. He's talking about the place where there are thousands and thousands of glorious, freaky creatures flying around the throne talking about holy, holy, holy. Paul says, I got to go there. And you know what I saw? You know what I heard? Mm, can't talk about it. Signed an NDA. No one's permitted to talk about it. So I want to talk about somebody else who I know went there, right? And he speaks about himself in third person. This is an absolutely outrageous claim. Paul is making a crazy claim of the most epic and exclusive experience Ever. I don't know how you typically use the word epic, but I can assure you, you are misusing it. Because it doesn't get more epic than you got to take a trip to heaven. Everything is downhill from there. Talk about exclusive. You can't make reservations to go to heaven. I mean, if you do, it's a one-way trip. You're not coming back. You don't get to do this. Tickets are sold out. Matter of fact, there was only one ticket ever issued to take a trip like this. And it was given to Paul. I don't know if you know that historically, no other saint has ever claimed this particular experience in scripture. Nobody. Not Abraham. When God wanted to talk to Abraham, he sent an angel. Or he spoke to him. When God wanted to speak to Moses, he came down on a mountain. Or he came in, in a, a burning bush. Or he spoke to him at the mouth of the tent. Paul says, no. God sent a holy Uber and he teleported me. I don't know if I went physically. But he took me to heaven to visit. No one else in human history has ever had this experience. And talk about it. Exhilarating. I imagine Paul has never experienced this much joy, this much peace, this much of a dopamine rush. This was it for Paul. 
the most epic and exclusive of experiences. Frankly, the experience that my guess is Paul would have wanted to define his life. The experience that Paul would have wanted you know, to, 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 to post as the profile picture on his social media outlet. This would have been the experience that Paul would have said, if I could have one experience that I get to live in for the rest of my life, it would have been this one. This was exhilarating. If we could just live here forever, if we could just stay here forever, this would have been it. Paul says, I got to go to heaven for a visit. By the way, while we're talking about this, I'm so curious to know, um, what is your third heaven? I'd be so curious to know, what is your most epic and exclusive experience? The experience that if you could have your life defined by this, the experience that when people think of you, you would want them to think of this. The, the experience that, like, man, the thing about me that I would want to put on my social media profile would be this thing. If I could live here forever and ever and ever, it would be this. I'm curious to know, what's your third heaven? What's your most epic and exclusive experience? What is that thing? That thing that maybe makes you feel on par or be honest, maybe a little bit better than the person next to you. I'm curious to know. The thing that makes you say life should always be like this. The thing that you're constantly talking about. Remember when that thing happened? Oh my goodness, you long for that thing. Or maybe it's something that you have as an aspect of your life right now. Maybe it's your stuff. Maybe it's your money. Because you have more money in your bank account than the rest of us in this room put together. And you know it. And you would like for us to know it too. Maybe it's your house. Because growing up, you never imagined that you would live in a place like this. Your house is just a little bit nicer than the rest of our houses. And so you would love to work it into a conversation. And there are pictures of it all over the place. Because that's your thing. Maybe it's the, the ride or the whip, whatever kids say these days, that you drove in. And you just know it is the nicest one. There are only three of these in northern Indiana. And I have two of them, right? Like, ask me. I don't want to talk about it. Okay, ask me, right? Um, maybe it's something that you own, your stuff. Um, maybe something physical. I mean, your beauty is so striking. If one more person compliments me on how beautiful I am, goodness, I'm so tired of it. Just ask me how much people talk about my beauty. Somebody please ask me. Right? And, and you, you, you profile pictures. It's, it's everywhere. Or maybe it's your buffness because you've been working out and you've been on that low-carb situation, right? And uh, you just know you a little on the chiseled side of life and, and you just wear a shirt three times too small because we need to know. A matter of fact, you're disappointed we're not preaching about how good you look right now. It may be something physical. Um, 
about you. And that's the thing you want life to be and people to, to notice and talk about and to lead with. And that to be the thing that ultimately defines you. Or maybe it's history because men in high school, you were in all state this and all state that, and it's in your house, and you want people to ask you about it, and even though it was 40 years ago, bro, but, but it's still the thing for you. Um, maybe it's your accolades, your grades, your really smart, or your awards, or, or the, the letters at the end of your name, because you have so many um, degrees, you know. My name is... Dr. Honorable, blankety blank, but you can just call me Pete, right? <laughs> yeah, but you always introduce yourself by every single one of your degrees. But just call me, just call me Pete. I don't like when people call me all that doctor stuff. I actually didn't know you were a doctor until you told me about. I don't know. Maybe it's your popularity because you have more followers on social media than um, the rest of us. Maybe it's a faith-related thing. Your testimony of how you used to be a gangster and you used to, you know, steal Cheetos from Walmart and, and the Lord saved you, but it was so rough and, and you don't understand what my life was like and, and now, or maybe it's a spiritual gift you have or maybe miracles you've experienced. And that's the thing you want to keep going back to. And man, remember the days and if we could just live there, third heaven. Oh, it's your family because... Your grandkids, okay, you're not saying your grandkids are cuter than everyone else's grandkids. But just look at the pictures. <laughs> they speak for themselves, right? Or it, it's your, man, yeah, I mean, my kids are varsity athletes. I mean, what else is there than that? Right? That's the thing you talk about at work. That's the thing you, you go back to over and over and over again. I wonder what that might be for you. Maybe it's your nationality because after all, you're American. Is there even another nation on the face of the planet that comes close? And right now you're like, is there? <laughs> this, this guy's spitting facts. We are the greatest nation on earth. And I belong to it. What do you not love to bring up but somebody please ask me? What is that thing? If life could just be about this, it would be joy and peace and dopamine for you what epic experience would you live in if it were up to you take a moment um, as we come back to this passage we want to unveil it and ask questions honestly and not just breeze through it it may not be as epic as Paul's experience because a trip to heaven is pretty exclusive um Here's the problem with uh, epic and exclusive experiences, and we've talked about this many times as a church, but the, the problem with epic and exclusive experiences is they have a sneaky way of making us start to feel epic and exclusive, right? They, they have a way of starting to make us feel on par, but more likely a little bit better than the person next to you. Because have you ever gone to heaven? No? You? No? You? No? Just me? Okay. Hmm. Right? 
did you get a bonus like this? Like, I, 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 no. No, just me? Are your grandkids even this cute? No? Just me? They have a way of making us start to feel a little bit self-sufficient. Right? Because with these guns and this beauty, I don't need, what else do I need? I'm good. With this trajectory at work, like I'm solid. I don't need anything else. Man, I think for me, and I won't get into too much detail about this. I, I think for me, it's, it's been things like uh, ad- adoption, right? Um, and I don't mean necessarily the expanding of our family, even though, <laughs> I mean, did you bring three kids home? I'm asking that question in the wrong church. There's about 85 people like, yes, we did. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> ah, but I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking more about the way God invited our family into the process of adoption. It was miraculous. He sent such specific word from heaven to us. Does he even know your name? Does he even talk to you? Mm-hmm. Don't ask me about it. Okay, ask me about it. I'll tell you about it, right? I mean, it was just so outrageously clear. And then God just opened the floodgates of heaven and started to provide in ways that blew our minds. And he started to obliterate any obstacle that stood in the way of this becoming a reality. We were on a trip, y'all. And then the next thing I knew is he started to open doors for me to stand on stages under bright spotlights all over the country talking about this process that he had led us through. Do you get this? stand on big stages and the bright lights in front of thousands of people around the country? No? No? Just me? Okay. Right? And you start to, to become tempted to be, if I need a shot in my soul, I can just go back to this thing that God did and the way that we are a part of something special, more special than you, Right? And can be tempted to become very self-sufficient because what else do I need other than this? It's important to know what your third heaven is because that's where you'll be tempted to become self-sufficient, independent. I mean, what else do you need? I mean, the most beautiful girl on campus It's your girlfriend, right? I mean, and everybody wishes they were you. Like, what else do you need? Third heaven claim to fame. Um, This was true even for the great apostle Paul. So, verse number five. He says, I will boast about a man like that, but I, (laughs) I won't boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, though, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. I don't want to talk about it, but if I did talk about it, this third heaven thing, I wouldn't be lying. But I refrain so no one will think of me more than is warranted by what I do or say. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations. You can hear Paul wrestling through this, like... Oh man, I I do want to, but I don't want it to define me. I don't want to become self-sufficient. I don't want to think I'm better than you just because I got to do this thing. But you can hear the tension. And then the second part of verse 7. Therefore, 
In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times, he says, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. The story turns dark quickly. Paul seems to imply that 14 years ago, uh, to keep him in a place of deference to God. And you can hear the deference in Paul, right? To keep him in this place of deference because if I have anything epic or anything exclusive or any cute grandkids in my life, it's because God did it. I want to defer to him. I don't know if I got to go to heaven. God knows. He's the one who would have taken me anyway, right? I want to keep deferring, man. If I'm on this track, fast track to promotion, God did it. Deference. And to keep me in this place of deference to God and to keep me in this place of dependence, like I can't do this by myself. He says, there was given me a thorn in my flesh to torment me. He fell from the heights of heaven to the depths of hard places in half a verse. Man, Pastor Jeff introduced us to this concept of a thorn last week. Again, if you missed it, I would encourage you, go back and and catch up on what you might have missed. And Pastor Jeff told us, if God wanted us to know exactly what Paul's thorn was, the thing that showed up in his life to torment him, God would have told us what it was. But he didn't tell us what it was. Um. We don't know exactly what Paul's thorn was. Now, we do know some things about Paul's thorn. Um, For instance, we know that this was epic and excruciating. Whatever this thing was, it was excruciating. And one of the reasons we know that is because um, the chapter before this, as Paul is laying out his resume of suffering, he talks about all of the painful, difficult things that he has suffered in his life. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten with rods. I've been hungry, I've been naked. He, he says, I've been whipped with the cat of nine tails. This whip with thorns and, and, and metal pieces that is designed to rip the flesh off your bones. Paul says, I got 39 of those things on five occasions. And in none of that does Paul even hint at complaining And yet whatever this thorn is, it's brought him to the place where he is begging God, you have got to make this stop. Three times he pleaded with God. Whatever this thing was, we know it was excruciating. We know it was persistent. We know it was persistent because it says three times he pleaded with God. That's a poetic way of saying over and over and over he kept asking God over and over because this thing kept dogging him. This thing kept coming after him. We don't know if it was in waves and then there will be seasons of calm. But this thing was persistently coming after him and he continued to beg God to take it Away. Whatever this thing was, we can gather it was probably embarrassing. Pastor Jeff told us the word torment means to, to beat up. It means to beat black and blue. And one theologian says when you look like that, you don't go parading yourself through the streets. It's a little bit embarrassing, which might be one of the reasons Paul doesn't tell us what it is. This wasn't something that he was proud of. Whatever this thorn was, we know it was impossible for him to do anything about. You know he's... Every connection he has. 
Every ability he has, every spiritual gift he has cannot fix whatever this thing is. He is stuck with it. Impossible to do anything about it. I don't think we'll ever know what exactly this thorn was. And I don't think it matters what Paul's thorn is. I think what matters more, particularly for this conversation, is... What is yours? What is your thorn? What is your epic and excruciating thing? The thing that makes you say, I hope my life is never about this. Can we please get out of this place? If this thing weren't a part of my life, my life would be so much better. That thing that you actually hope no one asks you about because you're not proud of it. It's not something that you want to parade in the street. The thing you would never want the t-shirt of your life to announce. The thing you would never post as your profile picture. The thing you would never lead with in a conversation. The thing that makes you feel on par but more likely a little bit less than the person sitting next to you. That excruciating thing. It's been dogging you for years and years and years. And no matter what you've tried, it hasn't changed. Or maybe it's been weeks or maybe it's been months. However long it's been for you. I'm curious to know what's, what's your thorn? What is your epic and excruciating struggle? You thought you'd be healed by now, but you're not. It's still dogging you. You thought you wouldn't struggle with this anymore. It's still there. You thought God would never give me anything More than I can handle. Hmm. And yet here it is. You know the thing that we we hide from each other when we come to church. And it leads us into this prison of believing I am the only one who struggles like this. I'm the only one who is going through it like this. This. What's your thorn? Maybe it's emotional. I cannot stop mourning the loss. People said to me, like, just give it time, it will get better. And then a wave of grief hits me, and I cannot stop mourning the loss. Then the depths of sadness that I go to over and over again, and it seems like I just can't stop. I can't seem to, to get out of it for very long. Man, the piercing loneliness that, that I experience and everywhere I look around on social media, which is my first mistake, and then, then I look around everywhere else and people seem to be happy and friended, and yet no matter what I try, I can't seem to make any meaningful connection. All I feel is 
loneliness. Maybe it's a relational thing. Like all of these people with their relationships and no one's abandoned them. Their relationships don't keep crumbling. There's so much tension in so many relationships. And people have walked out and politics has driven us apart. And I'm not looking forward to Thanksgiving because every year it's the same thing. And no matter what I've tried, these relationships don't seem to be getting any better. It's dogging me. Life would be so much better if I could just fix these relationships. Maybe it's the dysfunction that you hide so well when you come to church. Our family's so well put together just like the other families at church are put together. Just like the other families at church are put together. But if you knew what happened on the way home and the way that we pile and heap abuse on each other. And and what mom is saying about dad and what dad is saying to mom. and, And dad knows what mom is doing and mom knows what dad. And it's just crazy in our home. And it's been this way no matter what we've done. This is the reality that we're living with over and over again. I'm just asking you, what's your thorn? Maybe it's a temptation. Now, let me be clear. I don't believe that a thorn in this way is ever going to be the choice to sin. But I do believe that it can be a persistent temptation that is just constantly nagging at you. Come on, take a bite. Or better yet, just come and take a weekend binge. And you thought that you'd get to this level of spirituality where you just didn't struggle with that temptation anymore. And now you're tired of telling your accountability people because it's like, bro, haven't we been dealing with this since middle school? This is still a thing. I can't talk about it now. So I'm going to lie or even invent some new struggles that are a little bit more manageable. Maybe it's physical. I mean, every time you go to the doctor, it's a new thing. I mean, you've struggled with that area of health for years and years and years. And you look at everybody else who's walking with no pain in their lumbars. And and it's just like life is easy for them. But there is one physical ailment over another. And people have prayed for you. The elders have prayed for you. And yet here is this persistent reality. I'm just asking, what's your thorn? The thing you wish was not a part of your life, but it doesn't seem to be going away. It's the peace and joy and dopamine killer. Life should not feel like this. Man, I could tell you uh, some of my... uh, One of them for sure has been like the last few years, and I've shared this many times, like like leadership. Talk to anybody in leadership anywhere, and they'll tell you like, oh God, please, can we get back to a place as a church where we just love and enjoy each other and there's no tension and the division and and this person left because I'm mad about something you said an accusation and can we just get back it is so hard God make it stop do you know how much more effective we would be if you would just take this away anyway we're not talking about me we're talking about you what's your thorn Um, man, in this series, we're not just inviting us to, 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 to have a... We, we really want to think about this. Like, we really want to, as a church, 
talk about this. Like, what is your thorn? And, and what we wanted to, to make very clear is I don't care who you are. You've got a thorn. And if you don't know it yet, okay, give it time. Right? And the church has become a place where we believe no, everyone is put together and everyone is fine. Like, no, we just don't talk about this. In fact, our culture invites us not to even think about it. So if you buy this for $10.99 and you continue to scroll social media, you won't have to think about it. But we want to say no. Not only do we want to acknowledge the thorn and the struggle, we want to actually learn to embrace it. Embrace the thorn. Embrace the thorn. That is going to be a hard thing that we talk about over the next number of weeks. What does that look like? Embrace the thorn. Like Paul learned to do. Um, So we're going to have some of this up on the screen. We're going to... Finish out this section of scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9. Here's what Paul says. But he said to me. Right? This is Paul pleading with God. Please take it away. But God said to me, my grace is enough for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. In hardship. In struggle. Listen to what Paul says. This is in the Bible y'all. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. So that Christ's power may rest on me. Verse 10. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Wow. Paul doesn't just acknowledge his thorn. He's learning to embrace his thorn. He says, I boast more about my weaknesses than about my Instagrammable relationship. He says, I delight in hard things. He's not saying I enjoy it. He's not saying I like it. But he's saying I'm starting to learn What hardship is paving the way for in my life. When I am weak, then I am strong. Ooh, that is not the anthem in the church. The anthem in the church is be as strong as you can be. People are most impressed and the most spiritual people in the world are the strong ones who have no weaknesses. Paul says, "Mm mm-mm. I'm learning to boast more about my Weaknesses, my struggle, my hardship. We need to learn to embrace the struggle. This is going to be brutal for some of us to hear, but let's talk about it for a few more minutes before I dismiss you and you can miss the days when you got out on time. Here's what it says. I delight... In we, that's crazy, and yet that's the place we as a church want to journey towards. Embrace the struggle. A number of reasons. Number one, because um, God will say no. 
When something painful and excruciating happens in your life, something that is persistent and embarrassing and you just, you hate it, I cannot encourage you strongly enough. Pound your chest and storm the gate of heaven and fall at his feet and beg him, God, you've got to take it away. God, you have got to make it stop. God, you have got to fix it. God, you've got to remove this from me. But hear me. There will always be something, there will always be a thorn that God refuses to remove. There will be a hardship, God will say, nope, this one stays. And as a church, we've got to talk about this. This is not a shot at your faith. This is not because you did something wrong. Ask Paul. Ask Jesus. Sorry son. We're going through with this one. But God if there's any way father. Nope not for this one. This one we're going to have to walk through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Can we walk around this one? Not this one. This one stays. God is going to say no. Some of you are living in the no of God right now. When it comes to an area of struggle. And men by the power of the Holy Spirit. May he remove some of the shame that you've believed. And the lies you've believed about that. For every single one of us. There is going to be an area. You might not know it yet. But for most of us we know. God's going to say no. This one stays. In which case what choice do you have? Embrace The fact that in that area you might always have to walk with a limp. Paul embraces that thorn. I love it. And if you read the attitude of Paul. Like I don't have to like it. I don't have to love it. But I'm learning. To walk with. This limp. I'm learning to follow Jesus with a limp. And I'm figuring out how to kick the devil's butt with my good leg. We need to stop telling each other, it will get easier soon. It will get better soon. You don't know that. You don't know that. This may be the thing God said, nope. This one stays. Um, Second quick thing. You've got to embrace the struggle. Embrace the thorn because... As the series suggests, the struggle is real. I was struck by the ratio in this passage uh, when I read the Bible mathematically. So don't say math will never come in handy. But I read this passage mathematically and it struck me as really interesting. If you ask Paul, tell me about your most epic and exhilarating and exclusive experience. Tell me about the thing that you just wish defined your life. Tell me about that, Paul. What was it? Third heaven, I got to go. That's awesome. When was that, Paul? Uh, 14 years ago. 
I'm sorry. So you're telling me you've not had this level of a high again in 14 years? No. Curious to know, Paul, like how long did it last? Like, I don't know. Was it real? Was I in a trance? Was it a dream? I don't know. How long did dreams last? I don't know, Paul. Let's say 14 minutes. Does that ratio not mess with anybody else? Let me give it to you like this. Their ratio is 14 minutes of this exhilarating exclusive experience versus 7.4 million minutes of dealing with a thorn. I had this moment that was unbelievable. But how long have you dealt with a thorn? For 14 years. And yet we believe life is supposed to be that 14 minute window of bliss and exhilaration. I'm like, do the math church. Life is going to be hard for the most part. There's going to be struggle for the most part. There's going to be issues that don't go away for the most part. And if we don't embrace this, by the way, what we're going to be doing is chasing after a high, not chasing after the most high. Take me back to that place, the Instagrammable moment. That's, that's the one I want. And that's the one I want to share when I come to church. And that's the one I want people to think defines my life. And Paul says, no, I'm actually learning to embrace the fact that, no, actually the chunk of my life of following Jesus has been hard. And I'm learning how to embrace that. And more than that, I'm learning how to meet God in the heart. Let's stop faking each other out like that 14-minute thing that happened Conda, when was the adoption? I don't know, like six years ago. <laughs> you're, still, you're still talking about that one? And that's how we lived back in high school. Back early when I was following the Lord. And we're trying to take people back to that little window. And Paul's saying, learn to live. In the reality of the journey, which is in large part a struggle. The struggle is real. We need to stop acting like life is supposed to be easy and then we start faking each other out and then we start pretending to each other. When you look at somebody, in fact the person next to you, I wish you could look at them right now and tell them, what well, you have issues. Like, yeah, you too, don't judge me, right? That's the reality. That's the reality we surround each other and enter into each other's spaces and encourage each other and get into small groups and Stephen ministry to come alongside acknowledging the fact that there are challenges. But embrace the struggle because God uses the struggle and that's what I hope we'll see in this series. It doesn't resolve the struggle, doesn't fix everything, doesn't make everything better. But I love what Paul says. The best stuff of life, believe it or not, actually lives where you struggle. If you believe that, it will change your life. Paul says, when I am weak, then I am what? For God's power is made perfect where? In weakness. And as a church, we're trying to get as far away from weakness. We try and fake like we don't have weakness. And God is like, 
The struggle is where I want to meet you with grace and power more than you've ever possibly imagined. And we ask, I wonder why the church doesn't seem to have as much power and as much grace flowing through it. Because we're constantly denying weakness, avoiding weakness, acting like we don't. And he's saying, no, I want to meet you in the struggle. And that's why Paul says, oh, for real? If that's true, then don't mind if I embrace struggle a little bit more. So that God's power may rest on me. Father, I pray that you would free us from shame and lies about weakness. And that we would beg you to take away the things that are hard. That we wouldn't become spiritual masochists. But that Lord, we would want to ask constantly. How might you want to meet me here? And that we will surround each other and just acknowledge, I'm weak too. You're weak, I'm weak too. And may the grace of God flow through us. And may the power of God show up in these spaces. Lord, we commit ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.